WGBB Sports Talk Flashback. I am joined by former Mets pitcher and current game analyst at SNY, Ron Darling. He's going to be talking about his just-released book, The Complete Game, Reflections on Baseball, Pitching, and Life on the Mound. Ron, pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for taking time with us. Oh, please, Mike. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Now, I had a chance to start reading this book. I've also read the excerpts, and this is not your typical baseball book. You didn't write it as an autobiography. You wanted to give the reader a sense of being on the mound. Each chapter is an inning. Um, it's a very unique way of doing the book. Talk a little bit about that, uh, doing this project, and why you chose to do it a certain way. Yeah, you know, you know I think what happens is uh, for most athletes, uh, book companies come to them and want to really just buy their name and their career, and somehow a book evolves. But it was just different for me. I, I, I went the old-fashioned way, just like all the authors out there, and had an idea for a book. Uh, I approached, uh, luckily, Knopf Books, who, who just do not do um, sports books, and they were interested in doing this kind of format. And the format is kind of ironic, right, because it's called the complete game. There aren't any more complete games anymore. <laughs> and, uh, but, but it is tracing uh, not only my career, but also games I've watched, games I've witnessed. And it's, it can become anecdotal at times, but it really is, like you said. I'm trying to take those unfortunate ones that are not as blessed and charmed as I've been out on the mound with me and tell you exactly what you feel, how you feel, um, how you feel at the top of the mountain at times and sometimes fully undressed on the mound. I mean, it's the only sport where the manager comes out and strips one person of the honor of, of uh, doing and pitching the game, and then as he walks away to booze, of course, a booze gives the honor to someone else. It's a very uh, strange thing, and, and for most of us pitchers, we need years and years of therapy. I decided to write a book instead. I Very quickly in the book, I, I got a sense that you know, those who watch the game don't understand how it is the day that a pitcher pitches, the pregame ritual, and, and you point out that you were actually a different person on those days. Uh, it's pretty important for a pitcher those days leading up to the game, huh? Yeah, I, I'm disappointed that I had to be a different person on the days I pitched. Um, I'm sure my family is very disappointed that they had to go through it, as I honestly became uh, somewhat maniacal on that day. But for for me, it seemed to work. And for me, I needed that edge, uh, that anger, all of that stuff that you need to compete. And um, and it's, it's interesting. I mean, guys do it in a lot of different ways, and that's what's great about pitching is that um, everyone can do it, whether they throw a 95 or 85, it just depends on how you move it around. The key was so, is that for you know, for a guy that played, um, I consider myself a really nice guy uh, 95% of the time. That 5% that's not so nice was on the days I pitched. Now, I started to feel a little old looking through the, uh, the book. Uh, you know, I'm 32. I watched you guys growing up in the 80s, and, and I see that you have in inning number 10, you bring up your, your game that you pitched for Yale against Frank Viola, uh, who was with St. John's at the time. And all I kept remembering as a kid is hearing everyone say, wow, that Ron Darling, he pitched this great game uh, for Yale. And I, and I don't really hear a lot of people talk about that when they talk about you. They talk about 86. They talk about uh, your career, the big game in St. Louis. But they that one kind of gets a little overlooked, don't you think? 
Yeah, it, it does, and in some ways it's kind of uh, strange, I think, because uh, here I am, uh, I've won a World Series, I've went to All-Star Games, I've played in the postseason, I've lived on both coasts, I've had an amazing life, but I'm really defined by the one game I lost <laughs> over 12 innings where I have a no-hitter for 11 innings. So it's, uh, it's one of the, you know, I think it's the greatest game ever pitched in, in uh, collegiate history, and not because I did it, but because Frank Viola was just as uh, brilliant on his end also, and I always kid him that I made him about $100,000 in a signing bonus in that game, but uh, it, it was an amazing game, and if I'm defined by a one or nothing loss, uh, that's all right with me because it was a special game. Did you take anything away as a collegian from that game uh, and bring it to your pro career at all? Yeah, I think what happened is when I got out of college, and, and especially playing for Yale, where the guys are playing baseball because they love the game, because everyone either has labs for uh, their science classes or they're on their way to law school or B school or whatever, everyone played it for the love of the game. And what I took away from it is that it was probably the last great time that I had playing baseball where it wasn't a job. Because once I get to, got to the minor leagues, it's this unbelievable scrum to fill these major league positions, and there's only so many. So you have to rise to the top of all these wonderful, gifted athletes. It's like going to an Ivy League school. You come from your own school, and you're an A student. You go to an Ivy League school, everyone's an A student. Well, that's how the minor leagues are. You go from being a great athlete to big best biggest athlete in your town, and you go to a town where everyone was the biggest, baddest athlete in this town, and you try to get uh, you know, on top to fill those small positions, and luckily I, find my, I found mine. Of course, we're talking with Ron Darling, author of the book, The Complete Game. Uh, you talk about your first game in the majors, and, and when I read that chapter, I thought of a conversation I had with Mike Torres back in January, and, and I'd asked him, hey, you were a veteran pitcher on those Mets teams, a lot of young pitchers, and, and he had said that um, a lot of the guys like yourself, I'm not sure if it was you, but he said a lot of the young pitchers came to him. I'm wondering, as a young pitcher coming up, uh, was that something that you openly went towards, the veterans uh, that were around a lot longer than you? Yeah, um, I, I will say that Mike Torres was a big influence in my career, and he's one of the greatest guys of all time and really helped me to become uh, the pro that I would become. Uh, but, yes, I did it myself. I think that on our pitching staff, because Dwight was so young, Dwight Gooden at 19, I was the veteran of that pitching staff after 1985, and I was all of 24 years old. So um, I think that um, I, I had to be an adult really early with those guys, guys like Dwight, guys like uh, Sid Fernandez, Hernandez, David Cohn, they, you know, I became the Mike Torres to those guys, and uh, and I really appreciate that because uh, it was great watching that talent blossom because those guys were so talented. And, and then I think of the flip side, how he had mentioned that not every veteran uh, pitcher wants that. I mean, he mentioned that Seaver at that point in his career wasn't as into mentoring. Uh, did you remember that? Maybe not necessarily Seaver, but pitchers who may not have been as helpful throughout your coming up and say, hey, I don't want to be that guy. I want to make sure I, I do my thing with the young pitchers. Yeah, um, well, there's part of you that's kind of uh, selfish because you want to do it on your own. You don't want to uh, to give anyone any of your secrets. But uh, the bottom line is, is if they're good, you're good, and then you, that you, then result is maybe you'll play in the postseason. So, no, I think that uh, when you're taught the right way, like I was by Seaver and Torres and all those guys, you want to share and impart any kind of knowledge you can to those guys. And uh, and uh, hopefully I did. I, I think if you ask any of those guys to this day, um, not that I'll get any credit, but they will say, 
that, you know, I was a great teammate, and that's all I really wanted to do when I played, is, is be a good, solid teammate who was a, a person that helped, not hurt. When I've heard you during Mets telecast, you've always been very honest about your career, even critical at some times. You talk about the growing pains as an early, you know, early in your career, struggling with control. Well, let's face it, as you mentioned, this is the toughest position maybe in all the sports, being a pitcher. What do you know now, or, or is there something you know now that you wish you knew back in 83, 84, 85 that may have made your career, it still was a good career, but may have made you maximize it even more? Yeah, I think I wouldn't have been so difficult on myself. You know, I think that, um, you know, for Mets, Mets fans now, I think I was the John Main of my day, <laughs> that I always uh, killed myself over not uh, being perfect. I think that I certainly had a pitching envy because I got to pitch after Dwight Gooden every time, and he was just, in his first two years, um, unmatchable um, as far as that. And, and I think that you try to elevate your game instead of just uh, elevate your game to his level instead of just elevate elevating your game to the maximum that you could have done. So I think that if I had anything to do over, I would have been less critical of myself. I would have just relaxed, let the talent flow, and uh, and uh, that would have been good enough. Um, but I think that being critical and, and, and being hard on oneself uh, is detrimental when it comes to team sports. I think of um, you in 88, and it was, I, I think that was one of your best all-around years. You know, your walks went down considerably. You had a great season. Uh, it seemed like you all of a sudden something clicked. Not that you weren't good before, but you, you brought it to another level. Is that true? Is that a fair assessment when you think about that year? Yeah, um, it was. You know, I had the most shutouts uh, that year than I had in any of my career. I, I was a good hitter that year. I was a good fielder. I mean, I did all the things you're supposed to do. So I kind of maxed out as a nationally pitcher that year. Um, I think 92 was a great year for me. I won 15 games in Oakland and should have won 22 or 23. Um, you know, sort of had a, a Santana year just in, in, in bad luck as far as the bullpen's concerned. But it, you know what? Every year to me was special because is, uh, you know, you go on this journey, and it's almost like being an astronaut. You know, you get sent into space on April 1st, and you kind of splash down in October. And in that time, you know, you're trying to max out your days. And, and like anyone doing a job, sometimes we're really good at it, and sometimes we're not so good at it. And uh, and uh, I, I wouldn't take any of those years away. Uh, winning 10 games in the uh, first half of 1984 was as thrilling as anything could be. Uh, going 5-0 and in, in 1985 in, in May and winning that uh, uh, pitching that big game against John Tudor where Strawberry hit the clock in St. Louis. Um, all those memories are great. So every year had its, its own unique, wonderful memories. You just mentioned 85. I have to ask you, is that your best game as a pro? Is that what you consider your best game as a pro? Yeah, I think it's my best game as a pro because there was so much on the line. And the one thing I'll always remember is that after I was done, um, I came in the clubhouse, and we had just won the game, and Strawberry hit the clock. And I'll never forget, Ray Knight was standing there, gave me the biggest hug with tears in his eyes. And that's when I knew that I was part of a bigger plan then, that, you know, these guys cared about winning, and that's all that mattered. And when the bottom line is when you go through all the contract negotiations, you go all, all through the BS of the media, you go through the, the bottom line for these guys is, is that they're kids again. Winning is all that matters. And that was the first game that I pitched that I felt as though I changed uh, a day in these great athletes' lives. And, uh, and that was fun to be part of that. Of course, I'm talking with former Mets pitcher Ron Darling. Ron, the other story I remember you bringing up uh, on the air is about Game 7 and 88. And I, I think you've been kind of hard on yourself on that one. That series kind of slipped away a lot before you. There was an error in that Game 7. 
but you say that haunts you. I know it's a game seven and you lose it, but is there something about your preparation or something you did that haunts you about that game? Yeah, no, it, no, it, nothing haunts me about that game. Like, I'm not haunted by I didn't prepare right, I wasn't ready for the start. It's just that sometimes uh, you have to remember, and I, and I do this in retrospect, I couldn't remember it then, but in retrospect, the other team's trying too. And Oral Hersheiser, who, who arguably had the best year any pitcher's had in the last 50 years in 1988, was just too much for us. I understand you said that things slipped away before that, but you have a chance on the mound to change all of that. You can change history uh, with the ball in your hand, and that's what this book's about, is that you have that opportunity, but at the same time, you have the opportunity to fall flat in your face, and that was one of those fall flat in your face kinds of days. Does it haunt me? Absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm haunted by all my shortcomings, never haunted by uh, or never uplifted by the great moments. The great moments are there. People enjoy them. Um, they're not for me to enjoy. They're like a gift uh, to the fans out there. But it's the moments that we come up short that haunt me anyways. And, and like I said, uh, you know, for us uh, pitchers that are on that lonely hill, it's a very strange place, and probably we need weeks and weeks or months of therapy, but instead I wrote a book. Uh, do you mention at all, I know you didn't pitch in the bullpen a lot, only about a season. Do you, I know, it didn't seem when I remember you didn't like it that much. Do you bring that up at all during your uh your book? I, I don't talk about it that much. Um, that maybe will be the next uh, next book. But um, I, I do know I do know that I, I didn't appreciate it because I was still a viable starter. And I, I think what had happened is that uh, the Mets decided that six starters made sense for whatever reason, and uh, Bobby Ojeda and I uh, paid for it. We both should have been starting for someone, and uh, we never were given that opportunity. But you know, those those are the kind of things that happen that you have to get past. And uh, even though you might might know what you think is right for you, um, it might not be right for everyone. So um, those are the kind of things that uh, they make you tougher, and they made me tougher, and they, and they helped me when I got to Oakland. And you had a chance to play for Tony LaRusso in Oakland and Davey, two different managers. Um, how, how important is it for a pitcher um, to play for the right type of manager, especially a guy later in your career, you were LaRusso, who's, you know, one of those specialized guys, you know, one of those stat-based guys. You know, it's yeah. a lot different than Davey, I would think. Yeah, of course. But the, the bottom line for any pitcher is that the guy has your back. I mean, that's the key is that, you know, if you're a former player and you're a manager, you don't understand pitchers because you've never gone through what they go through. But if you can somehow – um, make that pitcher feel as though you really kind of understand what he's going through, then that's that's a really good thing. And I think that Davey and, and Tony did that wonderfully. And and I think, too, of uh, you in 95, in August of 95, you, you hung it up. And what is that moment for a pitcher when you – I know you're a competitive athlete. You never think that you can't get it done. Is there a moment that at that point that you said, I don't want to do this anymore? Did, did you feel like you could still have given a little bit more if, if you tried? Well, I think you could give a little more if you tried, but I think the bottom line for me, and I say in the book, is that at some point um, I had always given my team the best chance to win. I mean, whenever you weighed it, I was always on the uh, the uh, lighter end. I was above the heavier end. Um, and then once that shifts, you no longer can do it anymore because if you're proud of yourself, proud of what you can do, and you go out there and your team does not have the best chance to win, uh, you, you start selling cars or whatever you want to do. It, it just doesn't make any sense anymore to go out there, and uh, that's what happened to me. And there's an, an interesting part of the book where you give your perspective from the booth, which is a little different. You know, talk about what made you add that into this 10-inning chapter. 
Well, I, I wanted to make sure that, you know, it didn't become a memoir, uh, that it definitely was anecdotal, but I wanted to make sure that, you know, the, the game of baseball goes on, and, and there's so many great athletes now, and to be able to talk about how they do it now, because the game's changed from when I pitched. I mean, when you took the, the ball, you're expected to finish. Now, did you finish all the time? Of course not, but that's what your expectation was. You get a lot of uh, conversation now where guys say, after they've had a start, well, I kept us in the game, you know, I was out there as long as I could, um, I did uh, put ourselves in position to win. You never heard that in my day, 25 years ago. You would say, you know what, I, I came up short. I only went seven and two-thirds. Um, I should have gotten into the eighth, gotten the ball to Jesse Roscoe. I mean, those are the kind of things that have changed, and it's not the pitcher's fault, but, the, you know, the game has changed. They, they, the expectation level of them is a lot less uh, because the bullpens were a lot stronger. But, uh, you know, that's why I did uh, – uh, a couple innings from the booth because it was important to let people know how the game's changed. Did uh, writing this book, one final question before I let you go, did writing this book ever give you, you know, you know a lot about pitching. Did you think about, hey, I'd be a pretty good pitching coach. I'd be a pretty good coach in general. Yeah, uh, I, I think that I have a lot to impart. I think I, I would be uh, a good and a good communicator with young people. I just think um, there's people that have put their time in, whether it was Rick Peterson last year or Dan Worthen now, that belong there. And I think there's a process of having a, an overall game plan. I can look at pictures and tell exactly what's wrong straight away. Um, but um, being able to impart that knowledge uh, takes history, it takes work, and you also have to be able to pull on working with uh, five, six, seven hundred young men so that way you can uh, you can pull on all that experience to help things get them things done. I know you're going to be in Long Island on Saturday. Um, any other events you want the listeners to know about coming up in April and May? Yeah, I, I'm doing a, a book signing on the 20, no, the 30th of April. That'll be in Mendham, New Jersey. I'm doing the book signing, of course, in Huntington that you mentioned, Huntington, Long Island, and I have a lot of friends there, so hopefully they'll all come out. And uh, I just, uh, I spend almost all my summer in Long Island at a friend's uh, house that's on the beach in Asherokin. So uh, I, uh, it keeps me sane in the summer of Long Island, by the way, just being near the water. <laughs> well, listen, we appreciate you taking a few minutes with us. Uh, great work on SNY. Good luck with the book, and, and we look forward to catching up with you at a bookstore near you, Ron. Great. Thanks a lot.